At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Third Earth has finally been conquered. As all that is good has been destroyed from the land, the sorcerer Mumra stands above a high cliff and surveys the land that he has conquered. At last, he bellows, now that this planet has been crushed under my heel, the rest of the universe is next. It is then that a lone starship can be seen hovering down from space above. As the Planet Express ship lands on the same cliff where Mumra stands, the ship opens and the robot Bender walks out holding a small crate. Hey, baby, the robot calls out. You want a sign for this? Mumra, however, was not aware of the courier service and assumed Bender was an enemy sent to stop him. Calling forth his magic, Mumra prepared to strike. Uh-oh. Bender thought, I'm boned, but I'm not getting killed without a fight. Also, I'm not getting killed. And this battle for the fate of the universe and Mainstream March commences. It's the ever-living versus Super King. It's Wahonk versus Titanius Anglesmith. It's Mumra versus Bender. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gabzi, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Race Tacanus. We have the fifth and final matchup in our Mainstream March series where we bring you popular characters from the 1980s, and in today's episode, we may have brought the most bizarre, intriguing yeah, just really bizarre battle that the Who Would Win team has ever come up with, in my opinion. Anyway, in one corner, you have Mumra, the iconic villain of the equally iconic 80s animated series The Thundercats, versus Bender, the alcoholic robot from Futurama. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this match has been discussed. And not only has this matchup never, and I mean never been discussed before, but evidently I somehow unleashed evil spirits by doing a search on this battle. I have no idea how that works. Uh, not the first time I've done that, by the way. All I'm it. trying to say is this matchup is crazy. We may have broken the internet with this once more, but we got to do it because that's what Who Would Win does. With all that being said, Ray, what are your thoughts in today's matchup. Of course, I think that this battle is wild. Like, Mainstream March presents the 1980s has really put together some of the most intriguing yet bizarre matches we've done at Who Would Win, his Who Would Win History. We've got, 
you know, Pac-Man versus the Riddler. We've got the A-Team versus the boys. We got Papa Smurf versus Handsome Jack from Borderlands. What are we even doing on the show? What are we doing on the show today? I don't know, but I do know it's going to be delightful. I do know it's going to be very, very interesting for many reasons. Here's the thing. This matchup, you're right. This whole month has just been throwing me over because I, I'm trying to figure out where what the Who Would Win production team is coming up with and trying to track who's going where. You know, uh, pa- uh, Pac-Man versus the Riddler really threw me. Papa Smurf versus Handsome Jack. Crazy. This matchup is a little bit more in line uh, slightly with what we do, except for one big difference. I'm representing the evildoer here, and you're representing, I guess, the mm. heroic I'm character. representing a different evildoer, James. Let's not mince words here. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, kind of anti-hero. I mean, there's some good things he does. Listen, here's a question I have for you. Are we, you know, is this something we do where I'm representing the hero, you're representing the villain? Is this, is this, are these the characters within the characters that we've crafted for ourselves, Race to Canis, after three years of this show? Well, I would say if you really break down this battle as who's representing who, you know, you're representing an evil, monstrous wizard who tries to control everyone around him and is villainous and everybody hates him. And I'm representing the lovable scamp of a robot who loves booze and cigars and is going to create his own casino with blackjack. And my point is, my point is, I think this holds up. This may be something that I want to start doing in the future, Race to Canis. I'm going to talk with the Hoodwin production team. You know, you know, forever I've been wanting to rep Megatron. You know, our Lord and Savior. But, you know, you got to rep him against uh, King Kong in a, a Titanic battle. You got the loss on that judgment. one. I still what a disastrous you. judgment. I, it was a horrible, yeah, but you know, the whole thing, the whole thing, Ray, I think this is a uh, a turning point, a different type of turning point, if you will. Maybe I got to start repping the villains a little bit more often. We'll have to see. This could be a, a great new page in the Who Would Win uh, history book. Now, speaking of great things, it's time to introduce our guest judge, making their second appearance on the Who Would Win show. It's actor Aging Manchild, someone who's halfway to the aspirations of having hair like Jason Momoa. That's a great aspiration, by the way. It's the megastar of the second biggest movie in America right now. It's Matthew David Rudd. Matthew, welcome back to Who Would Win. Welcome back, indeed. Mainstream March, saving the best for last. I'm glad to be here. Matthew, I, I'm following you on social media. I love seeing the uh, the posts about your new shows, your new projects. Congratulations on what looks like an insanely busy time for you. You've been going nonstop. Tell us about America's second biggest movie right now that you are the star of. Oh, yeah, absolutely the star of. Uh, don't look it up, but uh, <clears throat> I play a character named Panda in Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. Yes, the number two movie in America right now. Feels pretty good. Um the whole cast had a great time making the film. Uh, it's got nothing but good responses. I think we're at a 96 on Rotten Tomato, which is wow. like unheard of. Um, yeah, so so happy to be a part of this. So happy to see all the fan responses and, and so happy to be here to talk about it and to judge this fine contest. You know, before the show, uh, you know, we got to talk a little bit, and I just want to relate this to our fan base, Legion of Audience. Uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the show Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix, a live action uh, superhero show based off that comic book series. I wanted to love that series. I wanted to. Uh, didn't quite love it the way I wanted to. With that being said, Super Crooks came out, 
It's this great animated series, I guess, within the same canon as Jupiter's Legacy, which is amazing. And the animated series, Super Crooks, is insanely fantastic. Like, it's one of the best animated series I've seen on Netflix. And Netflix has a ton of great ones. And as I'm watching this, I love the main character, one of the main heroes within this series or the the, the history of the series, the Utopian. And I'm like, wow, this is great. The Uto- you know, they should have got this person to be the Utopian in the live action series. And then when I looked at the credits, it's Matthew David Rudd. <laughs> Voicing the Utopian, the most powerful character in this whole uh, universe uh, within Jupiter's Legacy for Super Crooks. That was awesome. I was fanboying like crazy. It was so good. I recommend everyone, uh, you know, watch Super Crooks and just check out the Utopian. That in itself is absolutely fantastic. So how does it feel to rep like the Superman of the Justice League within Super Crooks? Yeah, I, I, I was telling you earlier, but. Not, not to, not to, you know, say any of my, any of my roles are better than, than others. But for me personally, that represented such a meaningful moment in my career because I am, I, comic books is my thing. That's, I grew up reading comic books. I wanted to be a comic book artist. I went to art school so I could do that. Um, eventually that led to acting, but, uh, just the fact that I got to play, a character whose comic book is is literally sitting behind me on on the shelf back there. You know, <laughs> it, it was a dream come true, and uh, amazing. I I I'm so happy that that show got the reception. You know, it's similar to what I was saying about Jujutsu Kaisen. I'm so happy that these shows are getting the reception that they they do. I would love to continue playing the Utopian. Like, uh, it's it's yeah, it's a dream role. I, I'm so happy about it. Listen, I think it's got to happen, and what you did with the Utopian on Super Crooks, and with the other voice actors as well, Zeno Robinson's on there, mm-hmm. and a host of amazing uh, actors. I now want to see another Super Crook series, but now I want to see another Jupiter's like or like you know uh, series starring the Utopian and all of the heroes, yeah, oh. right, to take them on to kind of come back and get their uh, kind of vengeance on the Super Crooks. Anyway, you are awesome. We are so happy and thankful that you came back to the Who Would Win show. Today's episode is going to be fantastic. You got Race Decanus repping representing Bender from Futurama, one of my favorite characters of all time. I'm repping Mumra, <laughs> one of the creepiest characters from the Thundercats, an iconic series. We've got Matthew. I mean, this is just an amazing way to close off mainstream march race to canis you've won two of the last episodes you're not winning today that's it it's mm. done i'm mm. getting the win i'm calling it right now with ah. all that being said i know ray i'm saying it ray please do us the honors and announce today's matchup representing 80s cartoons the sorcerer who wears more bandages than the weekend mumra and now representing hulu the robot who once opened a vegan restaurant called Salty Greens, it inspired people to bite my briny petal grass. <laughs> Bender. Well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Hulu Win match brought to you by Indeed, one of our great sponsors of our show. Check out Indeed.com. And also by the Geek and Game Facebook community, one of the greatest communities on Facebook for everything geek and gaming. Anything related to that, go to Geek and Game. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality. And the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Now, Ray, I know there's, I believe, a couple of different versions of Bender mm-hmm. out there. What version will we be using today? Well, the canon version of Bender, which oddly enough incorporates all the TV shows and all of the comic books, have been confirmed to be the same character. Wouldn't you know? That's a little scary for me at the same time. That's awesome. I love it when people just combine 
any type of medium say it's all canon that's fantastic all right now with uh, mumra oddly enough he exists in a whole bunch of different types of uh, forms in comic book form different versions of comic books there was a great series in 2011 that came out with all that being said i gotta stick to the 80s look it's mainstream march brings you the 80s i'm sticking with the iconic 80s mumra from the Thundercat series, because you got to do it. All right, rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five, the winner of the debate is whomever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes. Finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store to get your very own Who Would Win merchandise and accessories. Go to the Who Would Win Facebook page to get your hands on some Who Would Win merch right now, or at least after you listen to this episode. By the way, it's time to celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week, we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today's patron is none other than a new patron to our Patreon. Okay. Nathan Fair. Nathan Fair is our patron of the week. Welcome to Patreon, Nathan. All right, here's the deal. Nathan is a... This is a tricky person to set up an opponent for. Yeah, it's tough so to come I'm, up with something that would be fair. <laughs> Nathan Fair is his name. All right, let's see. For Nathan, I think we're going to... You know what? Screw it. I'm doing this. Let's have Nathan go up against... The Incredible Hulk. Wow. Okay. Well, Nathan Fair. Now, that is an unfortunately named human being only because no battle against Nathan Fair can be fair. He not only fights dirty, he fights with an OP aggressiveness, strength, and power that the Incredible Hulk, boy, he's just going to turn back to Bruce Banner and walk away the second he sees Nathan Fair across the field about to face him. What's going to happen here? Is Hulk's going to try? Look, he's going to get mad. He's going to say, oh, puny human. He's going to start charging in, turning green, turning big, come after him. And Nathan Fair is going to put one fist up in the air and then bring it down on the top of the Hulk's head and flip him over like that giant flying robot thing from the Avengers movie. The Hulk is going to fly, flip, and turn several times, landing eventually in the ocean. That's battlefield removal. That's a victory for Nathan Fair. The Hulk truly had no chance in this battle. You know, what I love about that the most is that you said Bruce Banner's running at him and says puny human and then turns into the Hulk. Right. I didn't know Bruce Banner kind of talked like that, but that makes a whole lot of sense. By the way, you know what makes sense? The battle you just laid out. There's yeah. no way the Hulk's going to be no Nathan way. Fair. There's no chance. Not a chance whatsoever. Uh, I got to give it to you, Ray. Yeah, yeah. Nathan wins this 100% of the time. Remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring, you can invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to US Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. 
Indeed's going to do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WWW. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WWW. Indeed.com slash WWW. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And now... Let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Bender. Bender Bending Rodriguez is an industrial strength metal working robot from the year 3000. He was created by Matt Groening and David X. Cohen and first appeared on the pilot of the animated TV show Futurama back in 1999. Crude, rude, and shrewd, Bender works for Planet Express after previously bending steel in a factory. Bender is a bit of a con artist and will often steal and lie to people just for the fun of it. Bender is fueled by alcohol and is constantly drinking to power himself. He's strong, durable, smart, and every aspect of his empathy towards others is strictly voluntary. Which makes him a quality foil for the very emotional character known as Philip J. Fry, the other star of the show. Fun fact, Matt Groening created Bender on inspiration from a movie. That movie was The Breakfast Club? What? Yes. Bender is named for Judd Nelson's character from that movie, John Bender. Interestingly enough, in The Breakfast Club, John Bender told another character to quote-unquote, eat my shorts. 
This, of course, became the main catchphrase of Bart Simpson in that lesser-known TV show that Grading created, you know, The Simpsons. And that is Bender. That's very cool. Wow, okay. Here are the important details for Mumra. Created by Tobin Wolf, Mumra first appeared in the Thundercats animated series episode called The Unholy Alliance, which aired back on September 10th, 1985. Mumra is the main villain of the Thundercats and is a mummified demon priest. Because why not go up against a, a robot from Futurama if you're not a mummified demon priest who is apparently immortal? He has almost unlimited knowledge of all kinds of evil and black magic and sorcery. He has survived, he has survived on Third Earth for thousands of years, possibly from the time when it was First Earth. Whatever that was. A sorcerer and demon priest, Mumra is the greatest threat faced by Lino and the Thundercats in their many quests. Serving the ancient spirits of evil, four godlike entities, and the source of his powers and immortality, Mumra makes it his mission to expand their darkness all across the world and will stop at nothing to eradicate the Thundercats wherever they go. And here's an interesting fact about the Thundercats. Did you know that the Thundercats cartoon was supposed to be an educational program? It's true. Several cartoons from the era of the 80s tried to offer some wisdom to kids. They uh, didn't just infuse a wholesome message into the episode's story. Oh, no. They trotted the characters out at the end to deliver a pretty condescending, in my opinion, a lesson to the children watching, such as my favorites. Hey, kids, don't eat yellow snow. It's not lemon flavored. Or don't go trick-or-treating at Ray's house because he'll only give you candy corn. Very important life lessons to learn. But the Thundercats took this one step further. Telepictures, one of the production companies behind the show, created thousands of worksheets intended for classrooms. Students, this is crazy. Students would then answer questions relating to the episodes and their morals, and those who participated got gift certificates for their work. It'd be one thing if Sesame Street did this, since, you know, they were made for education, but including homework for an action show where Lionel is literally trying to stab and slash evil aliens. I love it. Oddball concept. I kind of like it. In a weird way, it's absolutely genius. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Matthew, do you have any questions before we get started? Uh, I uh, My only question is, uh, is, is how are you going to make this work, James? I've seen the entirety of Futurama about 20, 30 times. I mean, it's my absolute favorite show of all time. You know, it's it's going to be an upward climb for you. Did I mention that I thought you were genius as mm-hmm. a utopian? Oh, yeah. Super crooks. Does that help whatsoever? That's true. That's interesting. But, you know, don't let that sway you. No, Feel not free at all. To go for, Completely uh, impartial judge here. <clears throat> but, That's good. Uh, we'll talk later. You know, can, we'll I, can, later. I, can I set the record straight on one thing? Yes, I do give away candy corn at Halloween time. But in fairness, I also give away Necco wafers and pennies. So don't <laughs> think that I'm chintzy. That's all I'm trying to say. You know, I also thought that you would be that house that gives away a handful of popcorn, like loose popcorn. You remember those days? <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember the little sandwich bags with popcorn in them. My oh, you got sandwich that, bags? Yeah, the, the little wow. sandwich bags that like roll over so they still open up in your bag. Oh, and yeah, get popcorn horrible. everywhere. <laughs> My parents did not let me eat that popcorn. There could be razor blades in it, James. <laughs> <laughs> the only razor blades are what happens to your teeth after you eat candy corn. We all know I'm right. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Just picture stuff. Okay. All right. Race to Canis. This is for all the marbles. This is to decide the winner of Mainstream March. Go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Bender. I want to talk about his robot body and how much damage and punishment we've seen Bender take on the show. 
And there's a lot of stuff listed, so let's see how much I can get through here, because his durability is maybe one of the most durable characters in the history of fiction that I have seen. He survived gunfire, explosions, extreme heat, extreme cold, hard vacuums. Let's talk about all of the above. He survives the vacuum of space. We've seen him have the Planet Express ship be flying, and he just opens the side door and just walks along the outside of the ship and just does menial repairs on the ship, and he twists things and bends things. Without the vacuum of space affecting him in any way whatsoever and if you are not affected by the vacuum of space i have a hard time believing you're going to be affected by a third rate fruity yummy mummy that's all i'm trying to say right there now he once in an exciting moment he drank an entire keg full of beer took the keg and then crushed it on his head like it was a beer can fantastic physical joke but also an amazing display of both strength and durability we one time saw him jump off the planet express ship as it was flying high, high, high above the surface of the planet because he saw a sign that said free beer. He jumps off the Planet Express ship to go get it, falls all the way down to Earth, cracks through those people tubes that are winding everywhere in the opening credits, cracks through like birds, cracks through everything, and smashes himself into the pavement down below, creating a bender-shaped hole. He just gets up out of the hole and goes to find the beer almost immediately afterwards. What damage can be done to him that'll actually stop him? He once jumped and grabbed the back of an escape pod while resisting the pull of a black hole while carrying behind him a one metric ton robot. And he was able to hold on and keep it going until she broke off and then he got himself back onto the ship. Heck, one time I saw him light up a cigar while fueling up on gas and drinking it. Explosion happened, blew up the gas station and his head flew across the, across the way, but he was fine. He was cheering woo-hoo, as he was going on by. In the comic books, we saw nine nuclear bombs drop on him. He was not able to stop them. So just to create a complete fallout, New Vegas-level destruction around him, and he was completely unscathed. What made it crazier at the time is he'd replaced both of his legs with giant chicken legs, like little chicken drums that you would get at Buffalo Wild Wings, and those were fine too. I don't know how that works. I just know that Bender is absolutely amazing. I know Mumra often uses electricity, thunder, lightning-type attacks, well, Bender had a whole period of his life where he was just eating energy for the fun of it and, and made the entire city go dark because he absorbed so much of it. So what's a lightning attack going to do to him? Heck, we've seen him swim at magma at the Earth's core. No problem with that level of heat. We've seen him on planets that are absolute zero temperature cold. Not a problem in that cold. He can separate pieces of himself and operate them independently. So his arms can go off and keep on fighting even if they're detached from his body. He can, as I mentioned, the chicken leg. He can replace parts of himself with just items that are lying around. His limbs extend, contract, so he can punch you from a distance, go up and pull himself up to high heights, or use the legs to jump up like Stilt Man from the original Ant-Man comic books. Amazing. And he has a Tesseract vault in his torso. He can just open it up and anything he wants can be found in there at any given time. We've seen him pull out a giant hammer, a chainsaw, machine gun, laser gun, people. He can just pull out whatever the heck he needs to in the moment. And he can't really be damaged in there either. He took a grenade in there, closed it, and all it meant was a fire belch that came out from being exploderated by a grenade. And uh, the last thing I'll mention is his, his body is basically a Swiss Army knife of usefulness as well. We've seen it have fire extinguishers, uh, laser beams that can cut through cement, tasers. What is Mumra possibly going to do that's going to bring down a character this tough as Bender? And that's my point number one. 
Look, Bender, you know, doing some research on Bender, it really became impressive what his physicals were. With that being said, there's a couple of inconsistencies here because I've seen him also a couple of times where there was a big explosion or something, some big physical trauma happened, and he wakes up in the hospital later, still kind of functional, still feeling the, you know, the wooziness of, of what happened. So he's highly durable. He's not indestructible the way you're putting that out there. A couple of quick questions for you. In space, when he was pulling that other, it was a, a, a robot wearing a dress, female, whatever, and she weighed a metric ton, but it's in space. He was holding on. I don't think it was that impressive because what happened, he couldn't keep holding on to her. She actually, they actually got pulled apart. Not horrible, but not as strong as you're making it out to uh, be. To be fair, James, it's, he was being pulled by a black hole. So he was in space, but there was a certain amount of, amount of high gravity in play at that. And he didn't let go of her. The chain he was holding broke. So that's chain, a big okay, difference. Okay, so was broke. So he couldn't extend his arm, which I know he can do, and grab onto her? Well, she told him not to, so to well, be I fair. I mean, beforehand, you don't think that would have been an idea? Like, extend your arm, wrap it around her body, and just hold onto her that way? No, it was a chain? Like, in the moment of, of the heat of battle, the heat of, like, duress, of trying to save this person he loves, he couldn't figure that out? By the way, I'll bring that up later on. Another question I have, you made a really cool sound. What does Bender sound like again when he's laughing? I don't do repeat functions, James. You know that's this fair. by now. <laughs> that's fair. Let me get to my point number one. Let's go over the baseline physical powers and other abilities of Mumra, right? Now, the Thundercats was a show that showcased a lot of magical and supernatural elements, as well as powerful, you know, I guess, you know, every Thundercat had crazy powers as well. And who didn't want to have the fighting ability of like, you know, Panthro and you had the martial arts ability, the strength and sort of Lionel, the speed of Chitara, and then the things that Tiger could do, which I guess could turn invisible. That was pretty much it. And sometimes what's lost is just the immense physicality and power Mumra had and what he brought to the table, which was granted to him by the ancient spirits of evil. Evil beings with almost unlimited power as it stated in the show. So when Mumra transforms into Mumra the Ever-Living, which is basically how he's going to start this fight, he's about nine feet tall, he's super big, has crazy superpowers, such as... I'm talking insane super strength. Now, I did a ton of research on this fact alone. He has at least Hulk-class strength where he can press at least 100 tons. In the Thundercat series, Mumra easily overpowers Panthro, lion and a whole bunch of other characters who demonstrate crazy strength on their own. So you can overpower someone who has crazy strength. Your strength is on a whole new level. Let's see. Uh, he has incredible super durability where nothing outside of a supernatural attack that could level a mountain would even phase him. He's immortal, which is actually in, in his title on his business card, Mumra the Ever-Living. Fun fact about Mumra, as long as evil exists, he can't actually die. Which is great, because Bender, if well, he's one thing, he's a little bit good, but a whole lot of evil, which is why he's such a great character. He's going to bring, bring, be bringing power to Mumra. He's invincible. Very little can stop him. He can fly. He's super fast. He can also move at super speed. Want to know how I know? Because he was able to keep up with Chitara, Chitara sorry, and tag her as she was running super fast because he was keeping up with her. That's insane. He's got very high levels of super stamina, most likely as a result of being powered by the ancient beings of evil. By the way, those things are cool as can be. He's also a genius level tactician. He's a master manipulator. He can come up with a plan instantaneously, take advantage of the opponent's weakness, and then can position them and himself in order to manipulate what's going on in that situation. I'm going to go into more on that detail later, but that is something he is a master at doing. He's got super fast reflexes. He was able to easily evade and dodge attacks by Lino, who, by the way, is even faster than Chitara. That is crazy. By the way, Mumra is also a master fighter. In the series, he showed that he has serious skills in the form of grappling and striking. Uh, looks like a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu without him knowing he's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's all I'm saying. Very strong ground fighting game. 
And what's really scary and impressive about Mumra is that one of the he's one of the most extreme villains of all villains. He doesn't hold back. Not only that, Mumra is smiling and laughing while fighting. This guy is creepy. As I'm rewatching all this stuff, and I'm like, why did I? Why do I feel some repressed memories from watching the Thundercats as a little kid? And then I heard the cackling and the evil, and like Mumra would just stare at Chitara and just be like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's like more than just evil. He's like a like really evil. <laughs> he's look. He's he's impressive physically. Okay, I'm getting scared by Mama right now. He's he's impressive physically, and I haven't even come to what makes him really dangerous in this fight. That's my point number one. Okay, I got a few things I need to push back on really, really quick here. First off, Mumra's ground game. I don't remember a single time <laughs> Mumra turning and putting Lionel in the Cobra Clutch, getting on top of him and putting on a rear the, naked triangle choke. Hold on one second, Ray. Here's the thing. In the very first episode where Mumra's taking on Lionel, he's evading Lionel's attacks laughing. He does a takedown to Lionel and takes the mount position on Lionel. Right. It's you crazy. Know, that is... Ground fighting 101. I I took on the mount position like in fourth grade at at the playground when I was trying to beat up the kid who was calling me names. That doesn't make me a master of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, James. It means the mount position is the most basic position you could possibly go to. On Lionel? he also scales himself back. I will push back hard on that. He does. He absolutely scales himself back. A really good fight scene I watched before we started was him fighting Lionel one-on-one in a cave. And instead of coming at him with all these magic spells and the extra power, the lightning, whatever, he actually turned himself into a mirror match of Lionel and fought Lionel as Lionel and lost. <laughs> so don't tell me, sit here and tell me he never holds back. Every fight I've seen him do, he seems to be holding back to the level of his opponent to try to quote unquote play with them. And that's not going to cut it here. That sort of omens was always playing havoc with Mumra's, uh, you know, kind of sensitivity to the powers but of whatever the lino. But if you're getting beat by an inanimate object, you're not as powerful as you think you are. Since when, and you know, this might be the magic mind talking right now, great sponsor of who would win. Since when is this sort of omens in an animate object? That is possessed by, anyway, moving on. All right, Matthew, David, Rod, you've heard points number one from both Ray and myself. Where is your head at with this battle so far? Uh, guys, this, this more so than any other episode I've listened to, I'm, I'm having to take my own knowledge out of this and try to be as impartial as possible where my head's at right now, as far as the arguments are concerned is Ray made a real solid point. And this came up a lot in our previous episode. I don't know. I don't know how much we want to reference that, but the, the cartooniness of, of the characters in our previous episode meant that there was a lot of rule breaking that happened. And and to Ray's point, Bender just can do anything. Basically, he can get away with anything. He he you know, he he's ahead sometimes, he's eyeballs sometimes and 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 nothing seems to uh break through that cartoony level. There's a whole lot more real life restrictions put on a show like ThunderCats and the canon of ThunderCats. Um again, I'm not I'm trying not to bring my previous, you know, experience into it but i've seen both of these characters you know when they get licked and 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 mumra you know has some has some weaknesses for sure uh i'm i'm leaning towards ray right now as far as how can these two universes reconcile the rules you know you know what i mean the rules are so completely different they are and and, you know that's a great point to make which is why i love the show so much Right, yeah, trying oh, to yeah. reconcile one show that has slight tune force going for its characters. Tune force, versus, that's the that's the phrase right? I was looking versus for. Versus yeah. another show that was one of the most iconic 
cartoons of all time, yet somehow that is more grounded in reality. Right, right. Than, than Futurama, but that's that's just part of the, the, the fun of the show. All right, that is an excellent point. Ray Sicanus, you're slightly ahead, but you've been here before. I don't trust anything. We, we shouldn't. You should not trust anything whatsoever. Yeah. All right, so Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number two. You know, I really did try to do this entire episode by bringing up examples of Toon Force without actually saying Toon Force, but it's been put on the table, so I'll say it now. <laughs> Toon Force. Let's talk about number two, point number two for Bender, which is his offensive output. We've already established that there's nothing Mummer's going to be able to do to hurt him and keep him down. And let's talk about the other way around, because we've seen Mumra get beat over and over and over again. Whether he has minions with him or he's fighting by himself, he tends to lose a heck of a lot of fights. We haven't really seen Bender take the kind of losses that Mumra has. Now let's talk about it. He once bent the unbendable girder. I can't think of a better showing of strength than the, there's a literal girder that cannot be bent to the point where it's become its name. And he bent it. His robot twin, Flexo, could not accomplish that same goal, but Bender was able to do it. So, of course, he could bend Mumra and make some bad things happen inside that Puma body or whatever the heck he's rocking with. Now, he also (laughs) bent a massive brick wall of a prison when he was kept inside as a prisoner. He pushed on the wall and pushed on the wall. And instead of breaking the wall that was made of bricks and that was about like 100 feet high, he just bent the entire thing over so people could just run over it and then use it like a slide and get down on it. Heck, one time he bent Fry's leg. Now, that's not necessarily a big feat, given the other two I said, but it does show he will do it to human anatomy as well. It's not like he has some sort of fear of hurting people. We all know that with Bender, he's not afraid to hurt anybody at any given time. And strength, we've seen him carry the Planet Express ship on his back and walk around with it. I've never seen Mumra do anything near that. We saw him at one point lift six dark matter balls, which is, what do we call it? The poop of Nibbler, and it fuels starships. A human struggles to just pick up one by itself. He used a a kitty scoop and picked up six like it was absolutely nothing. We've seen him beat up entire groups of people before, uh, an entire robot film crew. He didn't like what was happening on set, so he took them all out with absolutely no problem. And he has shockingly fast reaction time. I wasn't really thinking of Bender as a very, very fast character, but at one point he was putting up robot graffiti and he was moving like Quicksilver. Just sliding all around doing the graffiti and then shooting immediately to the next spot. You could barely see him move. That's faster than the I or FTE speed. And we've also seen him do it to save people. When it comes time, now he doesn't care about human life, he says. But when it comes to saving people, if it's Fry, Amy, Leela, anybody else, if he sees her about to die, he suddenly has the speed of the Flash and can get them out of harm's way when he needs to. One time he held a bomb and just threw it straight up in the sky. It flew up into space and blew up. He could just grab Mumra, throw Mumra up into space. If he could do it with a bomb, why couldn't he do it with Mumra? Heck, one of my favorite moments uh, is, is he, he's not afraid to fight animals like Mumra is technically an animal. He once knocked out a guard dog with a stake. He pulled it out like he was going to offer it to him and then knocked him out with it. Oops. One shot by a flying alligator monster that had clamped its jaws around Fry's head. One shot knocked it right on off of there. We've seen him smash boulders, crates, pillars, entire walls. He can destroy absolutely everything that's in front of him. And he can also do really weird stuff, like he has immense robot strength, called out by name, which allowed him to speed drill and drill down an entire sheet of ice all the way down into the water underneath it in about three seconds. 
He also, and this is amazing, a character named Flamo, the living solar flame. He sucked up a living solar flame with a straw and just captured him inside of his own body. So at the end of the day, if you're going to argue that Mumra can't be killed, well, Flamo, the living solar flame could also not be extinguished. So what did Bender do? He trapped him inside his own body. So that way he couldn't hurt anybody else and he would be lost in that Tesseract body until he found a place he could put him where it would be safe for everyone. If he can do that to Flamo, the living solar flame, you bet your bippy he can do it to Mumra. And that's my point number two. So a lot of really cool, important things or impressive things with Bender. You know, you know, talking about trapping Mumra, remember, he can teleport. He's got that magic that allows him to teleport from one spot to another. He can go from, you know, A to B and A and B can be like a few feet away. This is something like even if somehow I don't see how it happened, even if somehow he did go into the insidey places of Bender, he's out within seconds because of magic. By the way, magic's an important factor in this because Bender has been affected by magic in a number of episodes, I believe, within Futurama. So that is something super important because as we discussed before in the history of who would win, when it comes to magic versus tech, magic wins the day. Mm -hmm. This is a supernatural magical character versus an awesome and really cool but tech-based character. Uh, the other thing I need to bring up is that Bender's opponents don't seem to be quite as consistently as badass as the opponents Mumra chooses to take on. I'm not just talking about the Thundercats. He actually takes on godlike beings uh, who are super powerful, supernatural powerful, physically power powerful on Third Earth as well all the time. This is someone who doesn't shy away from strong competition or shy away from a fight or who uh, poos out a brick in case they get scared and needs to run away, something that Bender does, which, by the way, is hilarious. I hate putting down Bender, but that's just a fact of what he does. Let me get to my point number two here, and this is to become really, really clear. So let's talk about Mumra's magic and Mumra's weapons. So Mumra can shoot magical destructive beams of energy out of his hands and eyes. Ray, you were talking about the electricity and other kind of stuff like that. That's cool too. I agree. That's not going to really affect Bender, but his pure red magical blasts of energy will. These are supernatural magical blasts of energy that also affect technology, which is something that's all over Third Earth, as well as supernatural magical-based creatures all over Third Earth as well. Whether it's tech or magic, his beams of energy that he can shoot out of his hands and eyes totally wreck or put under his control whatever he's facing. So these beams are powerful enough to level buildings. They badly hurt the Thundercats. And again, they take out, literally take out powerful godlike beings he encounters on Third Earth. Now, as durable as Bender may seem to be, he's been pierced by bullets, stray meteors that go through his head, and heavy blunt trauma can put him down for the count. I've already described all that kind of stuff. But by the way, all of those things are exactly what Mumra's beams of magical energy can do. Mumra is somewhat, and I think this is the right way of saying this, omniscient, where he gets a magical or supernatural download of details from the, the, the forced, ancient forces of evil based off whoever he's fighting. And this is not just when he looks into his bubbling cauldron and they, they reveal stuff. He also gets the stuff kind of just put into a download into his head, if not everything about that opponent, at least a lot about them. And this is what he uses in order to kind of manipulate them, get into their head, move them around. Again, I know Bender's a technological being, but magic is going to allow uh, Mumra to do this with Bender. By the way, Mumra can also mind control people. Now, again, it's magic-based. 
Bender, can Bender be mind-controlled? I think he can, even though he's a tech-based being. This is something Mumra's done a whole lot. Uh, here's a fun magical thing that Mumra can do. He can teleport, but my favorite powerful thing of Mumra is his ability to shapeshift. And he shapeshifts so precisely that he can mimic other Thundercats and their voices to the degree where the other Thundercats can't detect that it's Mumra, which is really, really weird and impressive. He's shapeshifted as other Thundercats gone into the Cat's Lair, which is you know the Thundercats' base of operations, fooled everyone and just caused absolute havoc. He can also shapeshift into other characters where he comes across as, you know, weak, timid, whatever. Hi, I'm an older lion type of creature, humanoid thing. Don't mind me. I'm just here. And the other Thundercats are like, oh, cool, you're here. They don't suspect a thing. That's And then he starts messing with them using his magic. That's something he can do to Bender easily. He wants to disguise himself as King Arthur to obtain Excalibur. This is how good his disguise is because it didn't just fool the Thundercats that this is King Arthur. It also fooled Excalibur as he was able to extract it from whatever rock it was in at the time, that's some powerful magic. Mumra also has some really cool magical weapons. He has a sword called the Sword of Plundar, and this is a sword uh, from a planet called Plundar. This sword is actually what destroyed planet Thundera, which is what made the Thundercats have to escape like Superman escaping Krypton when it exploded. So, big story on that, but when Mumra calls on the sword, so it's a planet destroyer. When Mumra calls on the sword, it appears in his hands, and then he uses it like a master. Remember, Mumra is a great fighter. When he uses it against the Thundercats, who are all armed with their weapons, by the way, he spins it around quickly. A vortex of energy comes out of it, takes out Lino completely. He's out for the count. Literally in two seconds, he's down. He spins it again, shoots out magical ropes of energy that cause the Thundercats' weapons to churn on them, bind them up, and he's on the ground. And he's doing this while he's laughing like a maniac, Really scary, really creepy, very, very cool. Let's see. He's also got the Babylonian Barbarian Boiler. Say that really quick five times. Now, this is a weapon that is capable of firing an intense beam, which melts anything in its path, and the ancient used it to liquefy all of their enemies. This is magic-based kind of a, a, a thing that with intense intense beam that liquefies everything created by the ancient spirits of evil. By the way, the new sponsors of Who Would Win. Look, <laughs> more magical powers, supernatural info downloads to instantly know about his opponents, the ability to completely transform and shapeshift anyone he wants, full every mind control, the Sword of Plundar, the freaking Babylonian Barbarian Boiler, Brace to Canis, which can destroy planets, same thing with the Sword of Plundar. This is what Mumra's bringing to the table. This is not looking good for Bender. I hate to say it because I love Bender. That's my point number two. No, there's so much wrong with what you're saying right there. You know, he did have prior knowledge of all the Thundercats, and he was able to go in when he was, you know, mimicking them. He's not going to know who Fry and Leela and Professor Farnsworth are. You can pretend like, oh, he just downloads the information. That is way all about prior knowledge right there. That is not really a thing he's going to do from a character from another dimension, another world that he hasn't known personally previously. So the, the, the that whole deal with him tricking Bender is just going to not even work. And mind control. Control. That works against people with human brains. That does not work against robots who do not have human brains. That is not how the magic works at all when facing tech. That's absolutely nonsensical what you're saying. And you say he doesn't shy away from facing tough opponents. What I've seen him shy away from is beating anybody because he always struggles against Lionel and the Thundercats. For being as powerful as he is, it feels like it should have just been a walk to trick them, bamboozle them, get them in a bad position, and kill them, and take take over the planet, 
where instead he cowers from the sight of his own reflection. He got reflected in the sword of omens from Lionel, who just held the sword up. He goes, oh, my face. And he disappeared off the battlefield. You know, one thing I know about Bender, he has a shiny metal <laughs> ass. And that is something that Mumra can see his reflection in and will immediately leave the battlefield. Interesting. I like these counters a lot. I'll explain why my point number three. All right, Matthew, David. Run. We're at the turning point. This, this is where. You've heard two points from Ray. You've heard two points from Ray. This is where you got to tell us who's ahead in this battle and what the other side has to do to pull out the win. Okay. So, interesting thing going on in my head right now. As, I, as I've said before, I'm very familiar with both characters. Grew up watching Thundercats and then currently, as an adult, Futurama, probably my favorite show of all time. What's interesting that has been touched upon a little bit, James, is that Mumra, the ever-living, has a proven track record of murderous intent, destroying planets, things of that nature. Yes, he continually is foiled by lion and crew, but with the history that you have laid out in, in front of me, I've got to feel like they're next level or something like that. Everyone else in the universe, Mumra has kind of you know, dealt with. So what's troubling me about, about Ray's side here is that Bender does not, as far as I'm aware, have a proven track record of following through on evil intent. Um, he's, he's a lovable scamp, as you, as you said. He, he claims to want to destroy all humans and has not done that. In, in order for Ray to pull out a victory here, I, I'm going to need some proof of intentionality here and, and James uh, in order for for Mumra to to take the win I guess I'm gonna need for some examples of him not retreating back into his uh his lair at the end of every episode you know like that counts as a battlefield you know removal there sure does yeah and you see that you see that a lot mm -hmm. with him so so you guys both have some interesting uh things to to prove to me here interesting I like this a lot you know Matthew David Rudd you bring a lot of logic to this you are kind of like one of the premier uh, voices of reason because this is what you do you have first-hand experience with this you're a geek extraordinaire i'm just gonna <laughs> call you that and you kind of understand the logic of things that are not logical but then you make them logical so right. i love how your mind works had a funny feeling this is where you would go i'm exactly where i want to be ray Stikatis, let's see what you got for your point number three Point number three for Bender. Now, you talk about Mumra's ability to destroy planets. One of the things that I make as an assumption here is that his sarcophagus, his pyramid of power, is probably on the planet where we are currently fighting because, of course, it would be. So that means Mumra is very unlikely to actually use the type of power that would destroy the planet because he would inevitably kill himself by destroying the planet that he's fighting Bender on right now. And two, in a who would win battle. We posit that these two are fighting. We posit there's an actual reason why these two would be fighting. I don't necessarily need murderous intentionality because the fight is already assumed. It's not that Bender's just going to stand there and let him get beat up on. He's going to want to fight back at a certain point based on the notion of this battle to begin with. Now, Bender one time led a robot revolution that took over the world twice. He's done that twice now 
in the course of Futurama. The question I would ask is, James brought up, you know, technology, robots, this is sort of a thing. Bender would potentially have the ability to control any robotic devices around him, lead a robot uprising against Mumra, and have an entire army at his disposal in order to fight this right here. He's also very, very good at sleight of hand. We've seen him pick Calculon's pocket, a robot who didn't notice. We saw him use a fishing rod to pull a wallet out of somebody's Speedo while they were sunbathing and then yoink it right out. Bender is really, really good at stealing. And one of the things I noticed is one of the ways that Mumra has lost is because he was wearing effectively his version of the Infinity Gauntlet that he has in the cartoons that has powerful stones embedded in it. And one of the ways Lionel beat him was to pull those stones out like Tony Stark in Avengers uh, 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 Endgame, right? And make that happen. Now, of any character that we've fought with, who besides Tony Stark is going to have the ability to steal stones off of a glove in the middle of a battle better than Bender? Because as soon as he removed those powerful stones from the glove, Mumra reverted back to his frail old man mummy form and was effectively removed from the battle and could not fight any longer. I absolutely see Bender as being able to pull off that move without even necessarily having to fight at all. All he'd have to do is get close and boop, boop, Mumra is done. But Bender's also super powerful. One time, he shot a flame out of his butt so strong, it moved a planet's orbit, <laughs> preventing it from being hit with, like, asteroids or missiles or something and blowing up. He changed a planet's orbit with the power of his butt flames. That's kind of a big deal, as far as I can. And Bender's met God. Bender's met Robot God. So he would not be impressed by Mumra. When you've met God and Robot God, you see Mumra coming, you're like, that's just another guy that I have to take care of on my day-to-day operations. And one other cool thing is he ate a replicator machine at one point, which allowed him to mass-produce, replicate smaller versions of himself, which went in turn to replicate themselves into smaller versions of themselves. So what's stopping him from creating a, an entire army of microscopic benders that could get all over acting as nanites, destroying Mumra from within? At some point during this battle, Bender himself wouldn't even have to lift uh, a finger and wouldn't even have to stop drinking his beer in order to win the battle that way. And here's the easiest way I found that Bender's going to win this battle. Mumra, as James stated, has an ever-living form. He even stated, James did, that he would start in ever-living form. The thing to keep in mind about that form is Mumra cannot keep up that form for very long. His stamina is very low. Once he expends a certain amount of energy he immediately uh, has to go back and return to his sarcophagus like you talked about at the end of the battle and has to go rest up for the next battle. So when he tries to blow out Bender as the ever-living form, Bender, as I've already established earlier, is going to be able to take absolutely whatever he needs to. He's going to take any form of damage. He's not going to be defeated, not going to be ended. And then Mumra's just going to run out of stamina and have to go back to the sarcophagus. And at the end of the day, that's the way that Bender actually will win this battle. No murderous intent necessary. He's just got to hang around in the fight. And that's my point number three. So interesting points. You know, he did meet, you know, air quotes here, God and Robot God, who, by the way, I think I saw those episodes, were very 
somewhat you know ambiguous characters, not too threatening at first. No reason for Bender to be really be afraid of them. But when he does see things that scare him, it's it's a whole different Bender that comes out. In terms of the cloning, you know, I think about our lap, last episode with Papa Smurf. Ray, you know, taking on Handsome Jack. Ray, you said something really cool. Papa Smurf has a lot of one-offs that you see once, kind of, and never again. This is the same thing with the cloning and a lot of stuff you're talking about. These are one-offs that you don't see a whole lot. Just don't know how consistent they are with the character, just like Papa Smurf did that you argued so well last week. Let's see. Uh, robots on Third Earth. Super few and far between. So I don't think, you know, even if he could get them together, he'd have to find them, and there's not a whole lot of them to gather on to make an uprising to kind of sway them over. That's going to take time, not time that he's going to have for this. Uh, the glove you're mentioning, that's not really part of Mumra's main weaponry he doesn't hold that all the time that again was a one-off that's not something he's going to have in this battle all good points so let me get to my point number three and kind of clarify something now ray right away you did something really cool you mentioned that mumra had a weakness he did have a weakness in season one of the thundercats where if he saw his reflection he'd revert back to his old you know crinkly form and have to go back to his sarcophagus that was completely eradicated in season two we saw that because lionel tried it again he's like haha i made you see your own reflection and Mumra was like, yeah, and that doesn't affect me anymore. So that whole reflection being his weakness, completely gone in season two and never came back. It's a really cool thing. Okay, so let's talk about Mumra's big wins, Bender's weaknesses, and Mumra's secret weapon. This is going to kind of explain everything. So... In terms of big wins, Mumra has beaten some very powerful supernatural beings, I mentioned that before, who are also physically imposing. Here's a fun one. There's a character named Mumrana, who was this goddess who was the good version of Mumra on Third Earth. You'd think the good version of Mumra, or the good version of whatever, could take out Mumra. Oh, no. No, they, no, she couldn't. I wish she could, but she didn't. In a fight that took, or an encounter that took less than, I don't know, 30 seconds, he uses magical beams of energy, brought her under his whim, brought her to her knees, and then mind controlled her, immediately got her under his spell, and said, take out the Thundercats, which she then did. Clear win for uh, a Mumra right there. There's another character called Charnin. Now, Charnin was a genie. And this genie could warp reality. And somehow the Thunder Kittens got a hold of Charnin and said, hey, we want some wishes. Now, under disguise, Mumra went into the cat's lair, found the genie and said, hey, you know what? This sucks. If you do what I want you to do, I'll free you from your bottle. I'll free you from everything. And the genie's like, done. What do you want me to do? And he's like, capture the Thundercats, bring them this place. So Charnin did capture the Thundercats, brought him to this lay this other underground lair, and then he's like, "Okay, Mumra, now free me." And Mumra's like, "Nope, not going to do it." And then Charnin's like, "Oh yeah, well I'll take this." And he starts to fight Mumra, who laughs that evil laugh, blasts him with those red blasts of magical energy, brings and Charnin's like, "I can block this for a little while." And Mumra's laughing, "Yeah, but not forever." Boom, 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 and takes out Charnin. Really, really cool. Mumra's beaten the Thundercats individually. Look, I know there's a lot of episodes where he doesn't actually get the win. It was a great series, 65 episodes. You got to fill it with something. But with that being said, Mumra does have actual victories over Lino, Panthro, and the entire Thundercats, Thundercats as a group. And that's when they have their weapons. He's got an actual victory over all of them. So let's shift this to Bender for a second. Bender's got a few weaknesses. And I hate saying this. Again, I love Bender. But first of all, he's selfish. He's prone to mood swings and negativity. But the biggest weakness is illustrated in one of my favorite quotes from Futurama. So Bender says to Fry, I refuse to fight. I'm a conscientious objector. And Fry says, a what? And Bender says, you know, a coward. So Bender is going to run for his life if he feels threatened. In fact, the only thing, 
and I was watching this, the only thing that would make him stand his ground and fight or kind of come up and kind of have that hero moment would be if his best friend Fry were in danger, right? Or something there to kind of motivate him, a good thing to motivate him to fight back, which is not the case in this fight. Bender gets so scared that while just playing a game that looked like a version of Dungeons and Dragons, just playing the game words and everything, the dungeon master said that Bender's character was facing a dragon with which Bender loses it and is scared out of his mind and runs away in terror. And that was just at the suggestion of facing a dragon. How scared would he be if he saw Mum run front, right in front of him? He's so, he'd be so scared that he'd poop a brick. Again, just one of my favorite things that Bender does. It's just awesome. Here's another fun fact and weakness about Bender. When it's time to go into action, he often screws up and makes huge mistakes under pressure. For example, when trying to fight off another robot Bender lookalike, or for another robot, I should say, Bender extends his arms, proceeds to get some tied up in a huge knot because he's just kind of flailing like trying to go that, and he's like, oh no, they're tied up. I better run away. Screws up under pressure. When trying to assemble a rifle, he puts the barrel of the rifle where his arm is supposed to be in his shoulder and puts his arm where the barrel is supposed to go. A little bit of a screw up. Here's my favorite one. While cutting a zucchini at high speed, he accidentally dices the zucchini and his forearm into pieces up to his elbow. I think he's durable, but for some reason that knife could like cut a zucchini and his arm at the same time. Toon Force, where was it? Okay, now Mumra, on the other hand, is loving a good fight. He's aggressive. He's smart. He's highly intimidating. He's like a Brock Lesnar who just executes beautifully under pressure. We've seen this a million times. But there's one more thing Mumra, the ever-living, has up his sleeve. This is my favorite. And that's an even more powerful form called Mumra, the All-Powerful. So he achieves this form by absorbing the entire power of the ancient spirits and becomes even bigger in size, has unlimited stamina, way more power, way more magic, all this kind of stuff is just absolutely crazy. No need for the sarcophagus. He is now in his Super Saiyan form. Uh, and, you know, this, again, provides all higher physicals as well. Look, in this fight, Mumra has just too many ways to beat uh, Bender. If a tiny meteor and a laser can pierce his head, the magic's going to do it. Anyone who can combine magic, sorcery, weaponry, superhuman physicals that rival that of the Hulk and consistently beats the Thundercats, at least sometimes, is going to be Bender, who's going to be very, very afraid with no motivation to fight because Fry's not in danger. That's my point number three. James, you're talking a lot of nonsense, of course. You talk about, oh, Bender once cut a zucchini and cut his finger. Who hasn't done that? It's just a strength feat because Bender is so hard to damage, but he can damage himself. That's how strong he is. Please, at the end of the day, you said 65 episodes of Thundercats. That's 65 times Mumra did not win. If Mumra's this powerful, how is a ragtag group of kitty cats able to stomp his butt over and over and over again and send him packing. Outrageous. Now, you talk about Bender's cowardice. That's theoretical cowardice. If there's a battle that doesn't necessarily have to happen, Bender doesn't want to get involved because he's all about self-preservation. But we've seen time and time again, when there's danger happening, when, when it's an important situation, when it's life or death, and especially the life of Bender himself, he will rise to that occasion and he will do what needs to be done every single time. And this is a character right here who accidentally causes damage around him, supposing that we end up back at the area where the statues and sarcophagus are. Those are the areas that create Mumra's power. I could see Bender accidentally flying the starship into them and taking out the entire pyramid by accident, thus ruining Mumra and taking out his power. But the other thing that I said before, my point number three that has to be said, is the fact that Bender is just too durable. On three separate occasions, we've seen him wait one thousand years to get back to the future the hard way in time travel incidents 
That means that he can wait around, ready to go. There was no wear and tear at the end of those thousand years. He didn't power down. He was good to go for a thousand years. All he has to do is outlast Mumra, who's going to keep fighting, keep throwing stuff, keep throwing stuff, but the Toon Force is going to slap away all the attacks. It's not going to work, and eventually Mumra is going to expend too much energy and have to leave the battlefield and go recharge himself. That's just plain a win for Bender. Uh, I think you're giving Bender too much credit. You're talking about a Bender I wish existed, but I just, uh, I've just seen too many times where he's been scared. Again, pooped a brick. All right, with that being said, Matthew David Rod, you've heard three points from Ray. You've heard three points from me. Now it's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell us the story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Mumra and Bender. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I was trying really, really hard not to bring my own personal thoughts or knowledge of these two series into this into this fight. I was waiting for you, James, to bring up Bender's cowardice. And for all of the Toon Force and all of the amazing things that both James and Ray have been, you know, praising upon Bender and my own my own thoughts uh, about Bender. There are so many examples, and you brought up, you know, a handful of them, of him either running away scared or losing interest in what was going on. I the, the thing that's 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 hard for me to reconcile here is Ray. You brought up Bender waiting a thousand years for X, Y, or Z to happen, which happens, you know, like you said, quite a few times. I think that counts as a battlefield uh, removal. You know what I mean? Like, if he were to say, ah, screw this, I'm going to sit around and I'm going to wait for Mumra to lose his powers, who's who's leaving the battle first? You know? that I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking out loud here. At the end of the day here, I think my, my midterm thoughts still hold true. It comes down to intentionality. And I think that even if a fight had started, even if they were neck deep in fighting each other, I think Bender would find a way out of it. I don't think Bender wins too many fights. I got to do this to you again, Ray. I'm going to go with James on this one. I think Mumra wins the fight. There you, you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You claim to have seen Futurama, and you can't name an example of Bender surviving and winning fights? Like, what are you talking about? I don't believe you've ever even seen the show. I think everything you said off the top was a lie. There are... Pl- Listen, I don't need to defend myself here. That's not what this show is. But there are plenty of examples of Bender surviving things. There are plenty of examples of Bender running away to live to, to, to fight another day. There are also plenty of examples of Bender becoming a giant robot and fighting a giant Zoidberg and dying pretty easily. Again, I'm not bringing those into my decision because those are my own examples not offered by either of you. But I'm, I'm somewhat happy that James did bring that sort of thing up because I think ultimately that's Bender's character. Uh, that he will start something and then not finish it. You know, I got to I gotta thank Ray Stacanus for this win today because uh, last week's episode, Papa Smurf versus Handsome Jack, he brought up the fact that Handsome Jack had intentions, intentionality, and that Papa Smurf didn't have the intentionality to meet the destructive desires of Handsome Jack. Therefore, and I'm like, you know what? Ray was actually, you know, kind of interestingly correct with that. So I brought that to today's episode and used that to that point, exactly what you said, Matthew David Rudd. Thank you, Ray Stacanus, for the inspiration for today's episode. 
I don't know what more I could have done. I barely see Mumra last two minutes in any fight he's ever partaken in, much less keep a character like Bender down for more than two minutes. This is outrageous. I'm going to have a lot to say on Patreon later in the third degree. I got to tell you, you know, Ray, you had two wins up on me, and I hate being in that position. This was this this battle meant a lot to me, also because I'm repping the clearly more evil of the two characters. And I got to tell you, I don't know I that that's it. true. I loved it. I don't know that that's true. Uh, that's yeah, I didn't say the uh, yeah, actually, that's fair. That's fair. Bender is kind of a, a jerk. All right, Matthew David Rudd, you brought your genius to the Who Would Win show once more. Please come back and bless us and the Legion of Audience, our fan base, with your presence once more. With that being said, please tell everyone where they can find you online. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would love to come back, first of all. I, I love this show. And Seems you know what? unlikely, Matthew. This is two wins for James uh, if, with me as the judge. I would love, I wanted so bad to give you a win tonight, Ray. Did if you? only there was something you could have done D- about it. Did you, it. though, Matthew? Uh, did you really? Man, it just, uh, J- James knows uh, how to sway me, I guess. We've got to prove him wrong next time. Anyway... Please, any social medias, Instagram, Matthew David Rudd, Twitter, Voice of Rudd, please go out and support Jujutsu Kaisen, the movie. Watch it in in Japanese, watch it in English, whatever you want. Um, I love that the fans are going out and, and seeing whatever version tickles them, you know? I am so proud of the movie. The other voice cast is so proud of the movie. I think even if you're not a, uh, a dub anime watcher, you would absolutely enjoy our performances in this movie either way it's a great film and and you should go see it uh let's keep it up there in the in the uh box office for another week to come heck yes <laughs> all right race to canis this was a really good match you brought a lot to the table with bender you actually surprised me with how powerful he really is nothing to be ashamed with especially since you gave me the inspiration, the method to win for today's episode. Thank you for that, by the way. Check may be in the mail. It won't. Tell everyone where they can find you. You can find me at a showing of Jujitsu Kaisen, the movie, only going to the subtitle version <laughs> from this point forward. I refuse to watch that dub. I have too many personal feelings against it just in general. Now, of course, everybody at home, hashtag Ray was robbed, hashtag Ray was right. What an outrageous decision that we just saw. I presented no less than three separate, clean, specific ways that Bender would win this fight. And I was told by a judge who allegedly watches Futurama all the time that these things would not happen. I have a lot to say, as I said before, for the third degree, this is an outrage. Mainstream March was, in fact, won by me today. And James can say whatever he wants to. We're putting it in on the book. This one might have to go up to a vote. And as we all know, if I get 40% of the vote, that will overturn the decision. We decided that on an earlier show, and I'm going to have to invoke it today. 35%. If I get 35% of the overall vote saying I won, then it means that I won. You can find this poll at Almighty Ray on Twitter. We, we never agreed to any such thing. If, if Ray can I get 5% of the vote, I'll be surprised. All right. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gads. You remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok. Yes, not just for the kids anymore. You can find us on TikTok <laughs> at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. 
On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanus, the Geek and Game Facebook community, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Hi, I'm Kevin Goatee. Hey, I'm Kevin Israel. We host Gutting the Sacred Cow, the best and most unique movie debate podcast out there. Why? Because we invite our guests to pick a film that they find overrated or hate and try to convince us to see their argument. They must pick a film that is a financial success, widely beloved, or critically acclaimed. That's right. Some of the films our guests have tried to eviscerate, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters. You can find us on all podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And if you want to watch our smiling faces, we're also on YouTube. Guttingthesacredcow.com is where you find all of our information. And we look forward to our guests infuriating you when they attack your favorite films. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.